Welcome to the Fuzzy Mike, the interview series, the podcast, whatever Kevin wants to call it. It's Fuzzy Mike. My guest on the Fuzzy Mike today is a former executive and producer at Court TV, former producer and reporter for the Nancy Grace Show, but now author, debut novel premonition, Wendy Whitman. How does that sound? That sounds great, and it sounds like a good recap of my um, overall career. 20 years in uh, in TV covering crime. Uh, we'll get to premonition here in a moment, but what is our fascination with murder? I always tell people I think the fascination with murder is that it's just the dark side of human nature, and people, a normal person, can't relate to actually committing murders and committing those kind of crimes, but in the safety of a movie theater or their own home reading a book, people seem to like sort of getting scared. And I think they also just, they can't understand the mentality behind it. So it just, I think it's just an endless source of fascination to people. Okay, but you're talking about movies and you're talking about books. You covered it in real life. So there's there's gotta be a different level of terrifying, of scary when you're in the room with a, a killer. Absolutely. So I, there were two cases we um, covered that I actually had just nightmares over for months. They were so awful. One was the Tennessee case of Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom, who were carjacked and murdered. And then there was a Wichita case, the Carr brothers that killed five people. So yes, we dealt with the real deal and it, it did affect us terribly. Yeah. Now, both of those cases are featured in Premonition, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. They they weren't as high profile or even profiled nationally as you would have liked them to be. What makes a case go high profile? You know, I always say, like, if you take Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson, there's so many, unfortunately, there's so many wives and just spousal murders in general that go on. And why, why that one blew up in the news? Who knows? For every Lacey Peterson, there were probably a bunch of other ones no one ever heard of. And the same thing with the Carr brothers case and Shannon Christian's case, they could have blown up. They just didn't. I think it's almost like any news kind of story. Certain things catch on, certain books catch on, certain films catch on, certain TV series catch on. I think there's sort of like an X factor what contributes to that. And for every case that does catch on, there are unfortunately a whole lot that don't catch on and don't get the media attention they deserve and the victims don't get the attention they, they deserved. You know, I know that you personally are a victim's rights advocate. Carrie Mackin, the uh, the main character in Premonition, is also an animal rights activist and a victim's rights activist. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But do you think, you know, you're talking about some high profile cases. Do you think Kaylee Anthony will ever get justice? Do you think JonBenet Ramsey will ever get justice? You know, cases like that, unfortunately, when you when you watch the legal system for decades the way I did, it's not that there are no just verdicts and just outcomes, but automatically the victims are dead and the killers usually never end up dead. So that sounds like a, a bad way to put it, but it is the truth. And um, I think that you know, for every case that gets justice, there are a lot that get very messed up in the legal proceedings, and you know, they make deals and plea bargaining and you know, body bargaining to get off the death penalty and. You know, so I, I, I've always looked at certain things in somewhat of a negative light in terms of justice for the victims, because I think they're just put through, like Shannon Christian's father, Gary Christian, and his wife were put through so many trials because there were a whole bunch of defendants and a whole bunch of trials, and then they got all thrown out because something happened with the judge. And, you know, these families just go through it over and over and over again. And I think for them, 
there's no, I don't believe in anything such as closure. You can't bounce back from something like that in your life. And I think um, they, I'm sure most of them don't feel they got justice. You had mentioned that uh, it, it's a defense attorney's job to maybe plea bargain or, or I mean, Casey Anthony, she she walked when all of the evidence was overwhelming against her. You've got a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer, who is now dead, but he was one of the most prolific serial killers. Uh, he had overwhelming evidence and he admitted it. You've got Chris Watts, who's now in, in prison, who admitted it and had overwhelming evidence. Gerald Boyle, who is Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, attorney, actually wrote a nice uh, praise of premonition. What is a defense attorney's job when they know they're, they're dealing with somebody who is actually guilty? I think, you know, I could personally never be a defense attorney because I just couldn't do it. Um, you know, I think I think the way a defense attorney, the way their mind works, and I don't think it's rationalization, it is the way the system is set up. It's set up to be an adversarial system where even if the, 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 uh, the attorney knows their client is guilty, they're still supposed to try to get them off. I take issue with the whole, I don't hold the defense attorneys responsible. They're doing their part in the big picture. I hold the whole system responsible. I think it needs a whole revamp here. I think that when you, you have cases where the judge and both attorneys all know the guy's guilty and it's like a game, it becomes like a game in court. And that's the fault of the way the whole system was set up, not actually the individual players, I think, in it at this point. Jerry Boyle is actually a very good friend of mine. So I think that, um, I, think that I, I don't think the system will ever be re, revamped, but I think you know if the, if the point is to get to the truth and justice, then it shouldn't be done this way where, where you can play games in court and get your client off knowing they're guilty. That if, if the goal is to find out if someone's guilty and that doesn't seem to be the goal. You know? Well, Wendy Whitman, you say that you don't think the system's going to be revamped. Um, it, it could because we are now in an era where victims' rights uh, are, are out the window and defendants seem to have more rights than victims. How did that happen? You know, I, I don't know how it happened. I think things swing the wrong direction, unfortunately. I, you know, I've always said that I've seen so many cases where the victim's relatives in court in really awful murder cases were, were just treated so insensitively by the judge when autopsy photos were shown and things like that. And I know there were, I know there were cases where like the defendant's families got their, their work pay covered where the victim's families don't so they can attend the trial. And I, it somehow, I guess because you're innocent until proven guilty, everything always slanted that you don't want to get an innocent person put in prison, but it's gone so far the other way that it, it seems that justice becomes very elusive, even in a lot of very open and shut cases, and that the, what the victims are put through, like no one could ever compensate Shannon Christian's family for what she went through, and her life was stolen away from her in the most awful way possible, and no one so far has really paid the price for that. We're talking to Wendy Whitman, Wendy, an executive and a former producer for Court TV, also for years, a reporter and producer for the Nancy Grace Show on Headline News. Uh, talking about Nancy, this leads me into a question. Uh, I hope you find the humor in it. Um, she is a terrifying person to me. I, I find her to be tremendously intimidating. So who was the person that you're in court with or in a room with who put uh, who put nightmares in your head? Um, well, I love Nancy to death. She's an incredibly good friend of mine, and we've been very close for 20 I'm years. I'm sure. Um, I've never personally been in a room with a killer, so um, I can't say that. I think it's just cases that we covered. I was always in New York. Um, I went on only a few um, field uh, expeditions on cases, but they were never they weren't brutal murders. There were other kinds of cases. 
So I've never personally been in a room with someone like that, but I, um, I have been through producing it and watching the proceedings. And I think, I again, I keep going back to those two cases because those were the, of all the cases we covered, and as I always say, every victim is sympathetic and every murder is atrocious, but for whatever reason, Shannon Christian's murder and the Carr brothers' victims got to me the most. And um, so I would say those are the cases that kept me up at night and those are the cases that really scared me to my core, all the details um, of what went on with those murders. So are those two cases at most uh, responsible for premonition where Carrie Mackin, who is the the lead character, has a premonition that she is going to be murdered? Well, I think... um, I wanted to include them in the book because I felt they got cheated in the media. They just never got the attention that I think they were very important cases. I think Carrie is based on myself, which I think is common, certainly for a debut author. And I think people always say, write what you know. So I think that's how this book flowed out of me. I It was just my thoughts and my opinions and my take on the legal system and my experience for 20 years. So I think that that's what drove a lot of the traits of Carrie in the book. But I wanted to include certain opinions I have on things that I feel are wrong in the legal system in certain cases I wanted to highlight. And even though the book's fiction, I was able to bring in 20 true cases through Carrie's thoughts and bring in my opinions through Carrie's thoughts. So that whole technique of writing worked really well for me because I was originally going to write nonfiction. And then I thought fiction would be better, but I finally realized how I could do it and still include all those elements. So the book came out exactly how I wanted it to. You had 20 years of research, basically, with your career. Uh, How long did it take you to write Premonition? It actually took about three months to write the the first draft, um, because it it literally did just flow out of me. I guess I just had all this pent up in me all these years, and I always felt I had a book in me. And then, of course, you go through draft after draft, and once I got a publisher, there's a back and forth of editing. But from the day I started writing to the day I got it, I got a publisher. It was exactly two years. Two years. See, everybody thinks that that happens just overnight. What was uh, what was a harder job? Uh, Twenty years covering uh, crime and murder, or writing Premonition? I guess twenty years of covering crime and murder, because Premonition sort of, I guess it was. I feel like it, it sort of formed in me um, as I as I was going through all these years of working in crime television. So I think. That's why it was so easy to write it, at least the first draft editing becomes more of a production. But the first draft, I think, was so easy to write because I just it just was everything that I had thought of and dealt with over those years. And it just fl- literally flew out of me. However, I saw an interview with you and the interviewer talked about your past working with Lily Tomlin and the great comedian George Carlin. And you said something very interesting that Lily Tomlin, after she would get off of a performance, would actually write ideas on a napkin. And you said you'd be driving at night and you'd pull over on the side of the road and just find something to write. So even though you say that this was an easy write, ideas must have kept coming to you on how you could change or incorporate them into Carrie's story. Oh, absolutely. So um, once I started writing it, because again, you tweak it endlessly. Like I'm like, I've been reading the hard, you know, I have the physical book now and I think I I stopped reading because I think I want to change that word and that like you could literally never stop rewriting. So um, I would I would have thoughts and I have to pull over constantly and, and make notations. And then as soon as I got home, I wrote it, wrote it out and everything. So yeah, I think once if you're writing something you're passionate about, and it, it just felt right to me, I was thought I think one of the biggest indications if you're on the right track and writing a book is if thoughts are popping into your head constantly. 
And I actually had a thought the other day for a new book, and I thought, well, that's a good sign. I am writing the sequel to Premonition, but I had a, a thought for a completely different kind of new crime thriller, and I thought that shows the creative juices are flowing again. Now, it's kind of a, a different, and this leads me into one of the questions I was going to ask you, and, and that is, you know, Jack Ryan, that character, and, and uh, Jason Bourne, that character, they're more action but they are ripe for sequel. Carrie seems to be ripe for sequel, not only in book, but also as a TV or movie series. Any thought to that? Yes, um, I am trying, I am planning to start pitching it for television. I, I visualize it more as a limited TV series, like a two season, because as again, I did start writing the sequel. I haven't gotten too far because I've been busy promoting Premonition. But when I was writing the book, I literally pictured every single scene. And I think, when that happens, it, it, it's because it really does lend itself. I think it would be a really fantastic um, limited TV series. I would prefer that to a film because I think it, you can get it more in depth because you have more episodes, obviously, than just an hour and a half or two hour film. And I think the book has so is so rich in so many different details and aspects that I, I think it would lend itself much better to that. So I am going to start um, down that road. So this could be a tricky question, but Carrie Mackin has a lot of similarity to you. You said you based her character off of you. This gets picked up for a limited TV series. Who plays Carrie Mackin? You know, I, I try to think about it. And at this point, I just sometimes they find an unknown person who's like perfect for the role. At this point, I'm really not sure. I've, I've thought and thought about it, but I can't quite um, I can't quite nail it down yet. But um, that's that would obviously be incredibly important for the success of it and, and for it being translated correctly into it into a TV thing from a book. The tagline of premonition is, if you're not paranoid, you're not paying attention. What does that mean? To me, that means that, you know, people would say when someone's paranoid, like there's something wrong with them, but having seen all the true cases that you mentioned in real life that we covered as journalists, there are dangers out there. There are a lot of dangers out there and, and a lot of crime and, and murders are very random. The victims are not always just targeted for something you know that how they're connected to the, the to the killer or something like that. So to me, it it just resonates. It means that, you know, that maybe people should pay attention to the dangers that they're not walk around scared all the time, but that there are real dangers, and that sometimes simple, relatively simple measures can protect you from them. And um, you know, it, so it isn't crazy to be paranoid because you live in a world that does have a lot of dangerous people that literally are always looking and trolling for victims. So even though statistically, obviously, a very small percent of the population gets murdered when you see what happens to the people that do. And as I said, often it is very random. These people never dreamt they were going to be murdered. You know, it was like going out at night when they, you know, didn't realize someone was lurking around or even sleeping in their bed. I mean, people are murdered in all kinds of innocent ways. So that's what I take it to mean. So maybe it's just like a heads up, maybe pay attention to what's out there, because I think a lot of people I spent my whole career dealing with crime and cases and a lot of cases probably people never heard of and the average person this isn't on their mind all the time and it's not again that that i want people to run around being scared and and quote paranoid but there are dangers out there and you sort of have to pay attention but wendy whitman author of premonition how do you keep that paranoia from paralyzing you um you know i think i we we all sort of glean safety tips from cases we covered so I think I, I go about my day-to-day -day life in a normal way, but I think it's just so part of me at this point that I instinctively know what to do and what not to do. And it doesn't mean something couldn't happen to me. It certainly could. But I think without, without obsessing over it, I instinctively just do certain things throughout my day that I, I'm just used to doing, you know? So I guess we all became a little paranoid according to me. 
And well, how do you not take those cases home with you and think about them and dwell on them every day? How do oh, you no, keep I your sanity? Oh, you yeah. do. Oh, I absolutely did. Like, again, the, the, those two worst cases I, I've mentioned repeatedly in this book. Shannon I, Christian and the Car Brothers, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I still think about them all the time. And um, there, uh, the Danny Rowling, the um, Gainesville killer, um, mm -hmm. Tracy Pallas was his last victim. And, and she I think about her all the time. She just haunted me um, the way she died. And, you know, we, we just knew too much. And um, I don't think you ever shake. I never I've never shaken off any of those cases. I think about them. I think about them all the time. I think about what the all the time and what they went through and people need to remember them. What are common traits of murderers? I think, first of all, obviously they're psychotic or sociopaths or whatever, which have a whole slew of traits attached to them. They obviously lack empathy. Um, I think some people are just pure evil and they get off on hurting other people. I really do. And um, some are obviously mentally disturbed. But I think there are, it's, a, it's a different kind of mentality. It's a mentality where you, you enjoy hurting people. You enjoy scaring people. And, you know, to get into the head of someone like Danny Rowling or the Carr brothers or um, the, the gang that killed, because um, it was a group that killed Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom. I, I'm hard pressed to see how anyone can, you know, these people are begging for their lives and how you can do that kind of stuff. I, it's just incomprehensible to me. And I think that's why there is a fascination with it. Because the more details you know, the more incomprehensible it is that people can behave like this. Yeah, and that that's exactly where uh, my mind goes when I hear horrific stories like this. I'm like, who could do that? What kind of monster could do something like that? But as you said, evil does exist, and it's it's crazy and sad to think that that happens. Premonition, it means that you have a uh, a, a, a an idea uh, that's going to happen later on down the road. Premonition that, uh, that uh, Carrie Mackin has is that she's going to be murdered. She's kind of based on you. Who uh, gave you that thought? Who gave you that idea in your mind? Well, I, I always did. I think it's dissipated over time, but I always felt I was going to be murdered. And that one thing, as I said, this is not an autobiography by any means, so everything about Carrie is not the same as myself. But I think the only thing I can attach my overall feeling to, and I wouldn't even call it paranoia, I would just call it a feeling, is I remember looking back when I was a child, I grew up in the New York area, and it just seemed like there were just always these horrible murder cases in the news. And I remember seeing pictures of the victims in the New York Times and stories of it. And I, I have to attach it to that, I think, because it goes back so far. I remember that as a child. Those are my biggest memories. So I think, I think at a very early age, I realized there's a lot of danger in the world. And I think it, it really did terrify me. And I do think that's where where my um, feeling about being murdered came from. And then for whatever reason, it drew me into a career in this area. So it's sort of interesting psychologically, but um, I think it's dissipated over time, but there was, a, there was a period of my life where I really did constantly feel that way. That would be scary in and of itself. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know what? Congratulations on uh, 20 years uh, in TV and congratulations on your debut novel, Wendy Women. I've actually read the first couple chapters of Premonition. I can't wait to dig into it more. As Gerald Boyle and Nancy Grace have both said, it is a instant page turner. You have captured a great thriller. And uh, when that TV series is made, I'll be watching for sure. Okay. Wendy, thank you so much. Oh, and by the way, uh, if you talk to Nancy, tell her if I'm ever wronged, I want her to prosecute. She can't ever lose. There's no way. <laughs> I will do that. And thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure, Wendy. You take care. Thank you so much for joining us. You too. Take care.
My thanks to Wendy Whitman, her debut novel, Premonition, available now, and it is a riveting and fascinating read. Also, thank you to Bridget Golden at Publius PR for helping facilitate and set up that chat with Wendy Whitman. Thank you also to you for listening to the Fuzzy Mike podcast. See you next Thursday right here on the Fuzzy Mike. That's it for the Fuzzy Mike. Thank you. The Fuzzy Mike with Kevin Klein. Executive producer, Trish Klein. Mouth noises by Zach Sheesh at the Radio Farm. Fuzzy Mike. Get your fuzz fix online anytime at thefuzzymike.com. Everywhere with the iHeartRadio app and in this pocket. Wow, that is a lot of fuzz. Thanks for listening to the Fuzzy Mike.